So Daniel 3, 26 through 30 provides us the last section of this chapter. And through the chapter, we've been considering trials, which of course is quite evident to these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In verses 1 to 18, we saw the circumstances of that trial and how it targets faith. This is the essence of all trials. It comes, and though it often uh, addresses our temporal things, our bodies and pleasures, comforts, and desires, yet ultimately its target, its crosshairs, focuses upon our faith. And so you'll remember that there in that section, verses 1 through 18, Nebuchadnezzar particularly challenges them in verse 15, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had no image to point to. They had no trinket. They had no physical uh, object to which they could point and say, that is our God. And this is because God is a spirit. He is invisible. And yet he is real. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have faith in this real God. And they testify, and as we read earlier, they said that we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. We're not anxious because our God, verse 17, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and so on. And so they knew the true God. They trusted in the true God and they submitted to the true God saying that he's able to deliver us, and he will if he wants to, but if he doesn't want to, it doesn't change any of our commitments. We're not serving your image. Of course, their faith passed. And so their faith was not just a profession, though they do profess it. It was displayed through their action. And this, of course, is that biblical uh, relationship between faith and works. So you see here a great work wherein they refuse to bow down to the false image. They refuse to compromise the truth and the obedience to the law that was owed unto God. And yet they did so because of faith. They trusted in the Lord who is unseen. And then we looked at verses 19 through 25 and saw that in the midst of trials, even the most extreme, the Lord is with his people. And you see that, of course, when in the fiery furnace, there are not merely three, but a fourth is joined with the three who is like the Son of God. And we remember that the Psalm 23 tells us that the Lord not only sends us into the valley of the shadow of death, but the great comfort of the believer is that he is able to say, that Thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In the presence of mine enemies, thou preparest for me a table and anointest my head and my cup runs over. And we saw that. But now we come to these final few verses. And in looking at this last section, what we see is that there are blessings that come after the trial. Certainly there are blessings in preeminently communion with Christ. But the Lord orders trials for his glory and for his people's good. We see that in concrete ways before us. Notice verse 26 the king who so spitefully spoke against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and with this air of arrogance said, Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now notice, 
He calls the three out of the furnace, and yet he addresses them as servants of the Most High God. Who is that God? Just moments before. And now Nebuchadnezzar is acknowledging that he is the Most High God and exclusive in his dominion. For verse 29 tells us in Nebuchadnezzar's words, there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Who is that God that will deliver? Well, of course, there's understanding to be given to Nebuchadnezzar's words. There's no idol that could do it, what uh, was done. And so Nebuchadnezzar, now having witnessed it, acknowledges the great glory belonging to this God. Verse 27 gives us a very helpful testimony and record of the miraculous act that took place. This is something to remember. Although we look back upon the historical record and with faith believe these things, yet the historical record is a record of history. And so here what's being said, notice in verse 27, it's not just Nebuchadnezzar that's caught with a fit and a fancy, but the princes, the governors, the captains, the king's counselors are gathered together. And notice it's not Nebuchadnezzar, but they as well who saw these men. And all of the evidence of the supernatural having taken place. Their bodies had not one hair of their head singed. There was no fire or no power of the fire upon them. Neither were their coats changed, nor even the smell of fire had passed on them. And so here is a verified and a clear miracle. And so this is something for us to remember. The focus is not so much upon Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as it is upon the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in fact, this is important for our own instruction. Whereas we do long by God's grace to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and this is right to desire as the Lord would be glorified, it is the main focus for us to look to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's wherein their strength was found. That's where their hope rested, and that's where their glory came from. And this is where Nebuchadnezzar is focused as well. And so you'll see his acknowledgement, verse 28, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we've noted. And so he sends this decree, verse 29, that every people, nation, and language which speak anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be cut in pieces. Notice the reason there's no other God that can deliver after this sort. And of course, he promotes these three. Well, as you look at all of this in a brief span of a chapter, what's being shown to us is that the Lord blesses his faithful people. He blesses them. It's simple. And it's not just that they are personally blessed, but he blesses their witness for something far superior to themselves. And so it's this that we wish to consider, which is often hidden from our conception when trials are upon us. It's interesting how trials work and temptation enters in. When the trial comes and affliction is before us, it's twofold that we look. We look to the present and to the immediate future only. And so the present, we're looking what we're going to lose in the immediate future. Oh, if we are faithful, look at the difficulty I'm going to encounter. 
But what we fail to do in that moment of temptation is to look to the more distant future, which is here brought before us in this glorious work of God. The blessings that God is pleased to order and bring forth from the faithful obedience of his people. And brethren, this is something that neither Satan nor your flesh desire you to have any conception of. Satan does not want you to think of how your faithfulness may indeed not only bring some honor to your own name, but that it would bring great praise to the Lord God. And certainly our flesh, often cowering and shivering in the sight of such troubles, is not willing to consider that if we would, as in the language of Scripture, play the man and prove faithful, the Lord would order these things to his praise both now and forever. But to help us see that, consider three things as blessings that come from the Lord's blessing of this trial. Firstly, personal vindication. Secondly, divine honor. And thirdly, extended praise. Personal vindication, divine honor, and extended praise. These three things attending the faith of those who stood faithful. Firstly then, personal vindication. Notice their descriptions again that come from Nebuchadnezzar. He says in verse 26 that they are servants of the Most High God. They're not servants of idols, for no idol can deliver as this God has. And it's interesting as well, when Nebuchadnezzar first chided them, he did not chide their God against other gods. He was chiding their God against himself. And so you look back and you'll see this when he says, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar's view was upon the temporal, the present, the now. Look what I have. Look what I'm able to do. And he was not living by the unseen. And yet here, now Nebuchadnezzar is brought to give honor to these three men. They're vindicated before others. So you go back and you see the crisis when they say in verse uh, 16, we are not careful, we're not anxious to answer thee in this matter. And they simply say in quite simple faith, if it be so, our God whom, is ser- whom we serve is able to deliver us From the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, we read this, but we have to sort of place ourselves in the scene. What do you think the faces of the men were like when they heard these three respond? Those certain Chaldeans, verse 8, who accused the Jews and spake and uh, accused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they hear these words. And you can almost imagine the wicked glee that now spring upon their face, saying, we know what's going to happen. The furnace, which is already burning, is now going to be the place of their final rest. And so it is that Nebuchadnezzar launches in his anger their condemning sentence, and yet they trusted God with simple and a very calm faith. 
And now they stand on the other side of the trial. And you can imagine all of the people who were having for a moment this confirming thought, yes, we ought to obey Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, we are confirmed as wise in bowing down to the idol. Yes, we are the people who are commended now as they see Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego marched up to the top of the furnace. And as they're launched in, they have all of this confirming thought until the Lord intervenes. And at that moment, now everyone who was either opposed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or who had thought to themselves that compromise and idolatry was the right thing for the moment, they stand upended. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand vindicated. Notice particularly verse 30, how this is even more so in that they're promoted in the province of Babylon. Now, brethren, this is an immediate historical thing. But there's also something here of a whisper of a thing to come. Because you think of the fiery furnace, this certain death, an image of and a testimony of the weakness of human flesh and death most certain. Now, God intervenes, doesn't he? He preserves them, as we saw, most miraculously. But brethren, think for a moment, because we start to entertain and say, yeah, that's obvious because they were immediately defended. They were immediately helped out and so on. But we will suffer if God appoints us to that and perhaps die. And then what? Hundreds of years pass by, maybe thousands of years pass by, and our bodies waste away in the grave. And yet, brethren, remember, as the Catechism so sweetly summarizes the Scripture's teaching, when Stephen fell asleep in the Lord, Catechism tells us that we do rest in our graves, but our bodies are still united to the Lord. Now think of this for a moment, because what you have in a very quick uh, uh, sequence is a little foretaste of the resurrection. We're not saying this is a resurrection. But what we are saying is the miraculous preservation of the bodies of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego testify of the God who is able to sustain the body of believers. And the God who is able to sustain their parts and maintain them throughout not only a fiery furnace, but indeed throughout all of history until the last day. When it won't be Nebuchadnezzar that says to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come forth, but it will be a far superior king who says, come forth, and our bodies will rise up, and we will forever be with the Lord. What will happen on that day? It will be the ultimate vindication of the faith of God's people. So you think of the harassment, and you think of the gloating, that took place by wicked men against faithful Christians throughout uh, the generations of the church in times of persecution, how people did spit upon and mock and laugh and ridicule the faithful Christian. And their young women are paraded before coliseums and in the end are uh, broken by animals and other such things. And the crowds erupt with uh, sinful glee and their bodies are wasted. All of these things happen. And for a moment, everyone in the crowd, 
who stood opposed thinks what fools, and everyone who compromised thinks we did the better thing. What will the resurrection be but the personal vindication of all who trusted in the Lord? You see, brethren, one thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego helps us to see is that the Lord is faithful to his word, and he's able to sustain us in miraculous fashion. So that even if the Lord does not miraculously intervene in the moment to deliver us from the power of the flame as they did here, as he did here, he is able nonetheless to preserve our bodies as he has promised that on the last day our very body shall rise again. And the scoffer scoffs. And they say, well, your body might waste away for hundreds, yea, thousands of years, and your bodies and so on, the, the very material of it may be eaten by animals and burned up in a fire. What God is that God who is able to preserve your physical material and restore it on the last day? They bring out all of these thoughts. You know, there have been Christians that have been burned. There have been Christians which have been devoured of animals. There have been Christians which have been exploded. And you think of this and you say, well, that's quite impossible for the idols of this world. But the Christian goes into those things saying, but I'm not trusting in the idols of the world. I'm trusting in the God of heaven and earth. And the last day will be the grand vindication of all those who trusted in the Lord. And brethren, it will be an even far superior vindication than even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had here. When Christ draws forth his people on the last day and he declares in the presence of all the multitudes their faith and good works and says, well done, enter into my kingdom. This is something for you to remember. As you are faithful to trust in the Lord, the Lord will not let that go unnoticed. We say, but it might go unnoticed for a long time. It might go unnoticed for my whole life. It might go unnoticed until the last day. But brethren, we have to look at that last day and realize it won't go unnoticed on the last day. Personal vindication by God's grace. But secondly, divine honor. Notice another blessing is found as well in Nebuchadnezzar's mouth. When he not only commends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as servants of the Most High God, but even now testifying that that God which he mocked earlier, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? is now said to be the Most High God. He's not God among other gods. He is the Most High. He is transcendent over all. Indeed, he pronounces him blessed. Verse 28, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And likewise, he acknowledges his exclusive reign. There is no other God, verse 29, that can deliver after this sort. So what has happened is that Nebuchadnezzar the mocker has now become Nebuchadnezzar, a man of praise. He's gone from ridiculing the God of heaven and earth, whom Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worshipped, now to seeing he is the most high God and giving honor 
to this God. So notice this for a moment, because all of it hinges upon the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And for the Christian, this is no little blessing. Because preeminently, the honor isn't going to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's going to their God. And the Christian desires that above everything else. But isn't it strange that Satan's attacks and our own flesh often focus on a far inferior thing of just what's going to happen to me? But we don't think my faithfulness may be the cause of glory to God. And that's what's happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their faithfulness is so blessed of God to bring forth God's praise from the very detractor that Nebuchadnezzar was. Nebuchadnezzar stood opposing God, but now he stands and acknowledges God to be preeminent. And if a simple question is asked, why? Why has that come to pass? Well, think of it this way. What if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had bowed down to the image out of fear, out of compromise? And they tried to do all the things that we try to do in capitulating, and they say, well, I'll bow with my body, but not with my heart, or I'll be forced to do this, but it's against my will. And if they had done that, there would have been no circumstance for this to play out. We don't mean that God wouldn't have fetched himself glory in some other way, but we mean historically that if they had compromised Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have been brought to acknowledge this truth. Now think for a moment, brethren, because this is often hidden from our thoughts. We fail to entertain how God might use our faithfulness, even in affliction, for his glory. Now for the carnal man, that means nothing. The worldly man doesn't care. The worldly man wants family, friendships, wealth, comfort, health, strength, ease, all of those things. But the believer wants God's glory. The believer says, whatever else happens, God is to be honored. God is to be praised. God is to be glorified. And if he's glorified by my being cast into the furnace, whatever comes of that, so be it. If he's glorified by raising my body up on the last day, so be it. If he's glorified in preserving me harmless through all of these trials, so be it. Nebuchadnezzar had no thought of praising this God. If you could have gone back and asked Nebuchadnezzar at this moment, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, I see that you're charging them to be thrown into the prison or rather into the furnace. Do you expect that in a handful of minutes, you'll actually be praising that God? Without any hesitation, he would have said, you gotta, you gotta be kidding me that you're asking me this question. Absolutely not. There's no God who's able to deliver out of that furnace. Did you see my mighty men? They're already dead because of how hot the furnace is. And now this one who stood opposed stands praising. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How do you know that your faithfulness will not bring forth the same. Blessed be the God of your name. But you see, for that to be said, there has to be a stand of faith. If you're going to hear men praise your God, you must be one who stands for that God. 
not just in word, which all of us are ready and easy to go about saying to others that this is the true God, but with our suffering and enduring of suffering, with our afflictions and bearing of crosses, this is what the Lord uses to promote his praise. But let's not miss out on this. We're resting upon God's word who will perform it to his glory. The divine honor is given to God, not because of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but because he, that is God, performed such an obvious work of glorious majesty that drew forth this praise. And this is what we look for as well. God, whatever you do with me, my desire is that you would gather glory to yourself, that your name would be honored. Think of the first petition we're taught by Christ. Hallowed be thy name. We desire his name, whatever else happens, to be sanctified, honored, glorified, reverenced. Are we willing to say, hallowed be thy name, even by my suffering? Let your name be sanctified, if it is so your will, even as I would bear the cross. And yet, brethren, here is an assurance that no suffering for the Lord, no suffering for our Savior, will go unnoticed or unremembered by God. We have the scene of Revelation where the martyrs are crying out, that our blood cries out to be avenged. But God doesn't say, well, I've forgotten about the blood. Or I forgot about your sufferings. But he assures his people that vengeance is his, I will repay. And so every act of faith which is met with a cross, even unto death, is still remembered by God. And on the last day, glory will be his unto all eternity. Well, lastly, notice another blessing. And this is extended praise. So here, Nebuchadnezzar, the chief actor, is brought to give honor to God. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he's brought to uh, give some honor to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And yet not preeminently, but as servants of the Lord. But now notice, he gives a decree that goes to publish the praise of Jehovah throughout all of his empire. And so this one act of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which brings forth an immediate tribute of praise to God, is now put in a decree that spreads through the whole empire to testify of God and his glory. So that the empire of Nebuchadnezzar, which was the greatest of his era, is now hearing of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which never would have been done had they compromised and lived for the moment instead of living by faith. Praise is extended to God throughout the whole of Nebuchadnezzar's empire. So now it is criminal to speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it is solidified by this, there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Think of the impact of that statement. 
all of the false uh, religions that Nebuchadnezzar had taken over, his own included, all of these false worships that would have taken place are now being forced to hear, your God's not like their God. Their God is greater. And if you had the audacity to speak up against that, well, then it was, you would be cut in pieces, your houses made a dunghill, and this because no other God can deliver after this sort. So the praise of God by Nebuchadnezzar's decree is now extended throughout the empire. But brethren, consider this because this is our great desire, is it not? You know, we think, I want to live in such a way that God is glorified. And we start to learn to say, and if God would so order it, I want to die in such a way that would promote God's glory. This is what they get to enjoy. The Lord has ordered their lives for his praise throughout the empire. But trace this back for a moment. Why is it that all of those conquered peoples with all of their false gods are now hearing about Jehovah and his singleness as being the one true God who is above every other God? Why is it now that all throughout Nebuchadnezzar's empire, all of these untold, unnumbered multitudes are hearing about Jehovah? And if you trace it back in God's providence, it is because they said, we will not bow down to your image. It's not because they simply said God is true. It's not because they had the best statement of faith, though their statement of faith was accurate. It's because they lived in the face of trial and said, we're not budging. And it's not just that they said it, their faith gave birth to obedience. We're not going to budge. We're not going to compromise what is so clearly given to us as our duty. We're not going to fail in the moment of crisis. Whatever you do, Nebuchadnezzar, we are resolved to stand, not just profess, but stand faithful to obey the one true God. In other words, this extended praise that now goes throughout the empire is traced back to three men who both believed and in their belief obeyed God. Three men. Three men standing by God's grace, trusting him, obeying his word, is what the Lord orchestrated unto his praise throughout the empire. Think of that for a moment. What could three men do? How could three men cause God's name to be praised throughout the empire? How could three men cause Jehovah to gather glory to himself throughout this empire? How could three men gather glory to Jehovah in 2023 among all the nations wherever this chapter is read? How could that happen? And the simple answer is this. They trusted and they obeyed God. That's how. They didn't have some strategy. They didn't think, how are we going to do this? They said, we are committed to trusting and obeying God. And we leave all with God to do for his own glory. And God was so pleased then to order that to the flourishing of his praise and honor throughout the empire and brethren throughout history still. So that wherever the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are heard, 
there is an understanding of what God has done. Now, think for a moment what temptations often do in our mind and in our hearts. Well, if I'm faithful, what will that do? You know, it'll get pain and difficulty. And even if I sort of live through it, what good is going to come from that? And you don't realize that what's going on is Satan is threatened. Satan knows that if you stand faithful, because God has done it time and time and time again, he's able to gather glory to himself and turn the tide at such, powerful, uh, such a powerful display that those who stood opposed are now acknowledging, and more than that, they're announcing to the whole world what God has done. This is why Satan is so ferocious in the moment of trial. Because he knows if you stand fast and trust and obey the Lord, the Lord may very well order that to the overthrow of a massive portion of his kingdom. Think for a moment how we're instilled with courage by the testimony of not only these three, but Daniel himself, who likewise would not budge. We think of others, Moses, who chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. All of these examples speak of this. And when we hear that, we're encouraged to stand faithful. And yet, brethren, we have to look once more beyond the faith and obedience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because the only reason Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are faithful, believing, trusting, is because the God whom they worshipped is worthy of their trust. And so it raises the question to us, is your God worthy of your trust? Is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is he worthy of your trust, unfailing, unflinching trust, that when a family comes before you and is uh, mocking or ridiculing or putting pressure upon you to compromise, is your God worthy of your trust? When the world comes and uses all of its tricks and tactics and its abilities, is your God worthy of your trust? When carnal pleasure looms large and you see that, oh, what you could have, you can taste it, you can smell it, you can feel it. Oh, what joy would be yours? Is your God worthy of your trust? And of course, the answer is the God of the Bible is because the God of the Bible is the one true God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And he has displayed his faithfulness not only here, but throughout the whole of Holy Scripture. And so would you stand in such a time of trial? And if you would, you must have faith. You must have faith in this one true God. Notice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you go back to verse 17, doesn't simply say, God is able to deliver us. They say, our God, whom we serve, whom we worship, is able to deliver us. We know him. We trust him. He's ours. If we are to stand against this, but even against far inferior trials and afflictions, it will only be as we trust in the Lord. And to do that, faith must have God's record before it. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had less to go on than we do. They didn't have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to look at. They didn't have Daniel to look at. They didn't have others that would come after them to look at. But they had enough because they had the record of Moses. They had the record of God's faithfulness in the wilderness. They had the record of God who is true and faithful. And they were willing to trust him by his grace. And if you and I are to trust the Lord in the face of the flesh and blood of friends and family, enemies, the world, then it is we must be filled with the record of God's word so that our faith may feed upon it. If you stand tested and tried at this moment, again, you'll remember our temptation is to look at two very closely related points, the here and now and the next thing. We hesitate and perhaps we don't think about looking well down the line. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that. Listen, God's able to deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're not, going to tr- we're not going to bow. They had a sense that the Lord is faithful. Even if they're consumed in the flame, the Lord will prove himself faithful. And brethren, we have the advantage even over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because we live after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We live after the season that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived in, and we live after both the coming and the death and the resurrection of Christ, so that our faith should be even more fortified to say, listen, we're not careful to answer you in this matter, because our God in whom we worship, whom we believe, he's able to deliver us, and he may deliver us now, but if he doesn't, We know he will deliver us on the last day. And so we will not bow. We will not compromise. We will not sin. This is where we are to look to that last and future day. A day that will outdo Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being promoted within the empire. For we, with them, will on that day be promoted into the new heavens and new earth before all the universe. Soon enough, this present will pass. And soon enough, faith will be made sight. And so, brethren, whereas our flesh would call us to look at the trial and the immediate circumstances and pains, faith would cause us to look both to God and to the certain blessings which will be ours during the trial And well, after the trial for all eternity and the great certification of the same is that Christ is risen. He has gone before us. He has conquered death. He is raised up and now ascended and seated at the right hand of God, the father on high. And as he has ascended, so he will come again. So brethren, because of Christ, even the same Christ who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, that same Christ will cause you to be vindicated before all men. He will cause his father to receive praise from the lips of his enemies and cause his honor to be extended throughout all mankind who has ever lived. And your faithfulness will be a part of the praise of God. So fix your eyes upon your Lord and upon the day 
when he is honored before all the earth by his grace at work in you. And so live and die in faith to his glory. Would you stand with me for prayer?